Gideon here, and I am glad you joined me. It's another beautiful snowy day, and today you're in luck, because I'm going to meet a man named Simeon. I don't know a lot about him, except that he lives in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit was with him, so he must be a man of God. Now I've heard he had an encounter with Jesus, and that's what I want to know about. Come on with me since you're here, and we'll hear this story together. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. Welcome to everyone online. We can be praying for our friends at our other campuses at Green. Um, no, this is Green, isn't it? I'm all over the place. Cincy, Bainbridge, and we also have a worship gathering, a preview worship gathering out back today for our new Valley campus. So God is at work, and we are excited to be part of it. Last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Tim give a message about the shepherds, and it was powerful, wasn't it? Um, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back online and watch it. Tim just clearly unrolled for us what the gospel looks like through the eyes of the story, uh, the shepherds and their story. Next week, we're going to do another rotation, and you're going to hear from Dan Nichols, the executive director of NEC. If you've been here a little while, you've heard Dan before, you're in for a treat. So you don't want to miss that. But in this rotation today, you're stuck with me. Sorry about that, but I'm glad to be here and be with you. Um, in this series, we're talking about first responders, and ever since I was a little boy, I've had an affinity for first responders, specifically for firefighters. As a kid, anyone else want to grow up and be a fireman or firewoman? No? Okay. John Whitback, was that a hand? Okay, John. Um, so I, I had this little wooden fire truck and this little wooden ladder. It was literally this high. I would have really helped you if your house was on fire with that ladder, I tell you. And I had a little helmet with a siren on the top. I used to love that thing. And I, and I always wanted to be part of a fire department. And a few years ago, I got my wish, and I became part of the Green Fire Department. And I serve as a chaplain there. And it was an eye-opening experience to see just how much sacrifice people who are first responders make. They sacrifice time with their families. They sacrifice their safety. They sacrifice their health. And especially the last two years, first responders, whether those are people in the medical community or safety workers or law enforcement, frontline workers, they have put themselves in harm's way. They have put us and our communities ahead of themselves. And so probably in this room today, we've got some first responders, people who have worked on the front lines whether it's healthcare or law enforcement or safety workers. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. If that's you and you are a first responder in any way, would you mind just standing for us right now? Just stand to your feet for a moment. Awesome. I know they don't do it for the recognition, but can we thank them this morning for their sacrifice? Thank you so much, each and every one of you. Um, God says, give honor to whom honor is due, and we owe them a lot. My sister is a nurse out in Chicago, and so she's been on the front lines the last two years, and each week we do a sibling 
Zoom call, and I love hearing her stories of the front lines because when you hear what's going on in the trenches, it can impact your view of how things are actually going. And if you are related to or friends with a frontline worker or first responder, you've probably heard stories that maybe have impacted your view of what's going on on the front lines. Well, the same is true for Christmas. There were some first responders who were kind of first on the scene, and their responses are instructive. Their responses tell us a lot about the actual event of Christmas. And this Christmas, I'm studying one of those first responders that I've never preached on before, I've never studied him before, but his response to the first Christmas, because he was one of the first people on the scene in the first few weeks of that event, his response has impacted, and I would say improved, my view of Christmas. And I hope today as we look at his story, and he only gets a few sentences in the historical record, I hope that your view of Christmas will be impacted, and hopefully even improve. So if you would turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Luke chapter 2, we're going to see his story. It's in page 822 in your chair Bible, if you'd like to use that. And if you'd like a Bible, take that with you. It is our gift to you. But Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And let me ask you a little pop quiz, just to make sure you're awake this morning. I'm going to test your Bible knowledge you ready for this? Here's, here's, the, here's the pop quiz. Who in history wrote more of the New Testament than any other author? Ready? Go. Who was it? Okay, it's good when the church is unified in agreement. That's good. If you said Paul, though, you'd be wrong. <laughs> uh, now, a little bit of a trick question. Paul did write more books in the New Testament. I'll give you that. He certainly did. But someone wrote more pages than Paul, and it was a doctor. It was a physician, and his name was Luke. And Dr. Luke wrote a two-parter. He wrote Luke and Acts, and it's longer than all of Paul's letters combined. And his perspective was unique, and the stories that we see in Luke 2 and specifically the one we look at today, are unique to Luke's account. And so Luke, as a physician, for whatever reason, felt like this story and this person was significant enough that he was going to include it for us. Luke 2 is kind of the stories of the first responders. And Luke, Dr. Luke, thought they were important. So verse 21 is where we pick up today. It says this, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, if you've witnessed a baby dedication, you've seen maybe how Berean does it, right? We, we'll dedicate a, a new baby if, if his parents or her parents would like us to do so. This is one of the two baby dedications that you find in the record of Scripture. It's a young couple who are dedicating their new son to God. And so they take him to temple. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, by the way, those were the off, 
um, the offerings or the sacrifices that were acceptable for people who were poor. If you could afford it, you were to bring a lamb. If you couldn't, you were to bring a pair of birds. And so it's a little indication of the economic status of this young couple. Verse 25, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named, what's his name? There we go, there's our guy, Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So this guy has some sort of thing that he's looking forward to. He's been promised that he's going to see the Lord's Messiah before he dies. And so that tells him one of two things. Either this thing's going to happen soon or he's going to get really old. And it looks like the latter actually is what happened. It looks like this man is elderly. He's waited a long time. Now before we get into the story of what he's waiting for, let's talk about his qualities that Dr. Luke feels we need to know. There's three qualities he tells us about with Simeon. The first one is that he was righteous. Now, it's not a word that we tend to use anymore. When he said righteous, what is he talking about? How would you describe righteous? What would be a synonym for righteous today? Obedient, okay. I take that, Mama Lynn. I think that's good. I'd say probably the best word that we might use today to describe righteous would be integrity. He was a person of integrity. When he said something, he meant it. It's the kind of guy that you wouldn't need to sign a contract, you just need to shake his hand because if he said he'd do something, he'd do something. His word was good. You could trust Simeon. He was a man of integrity. If you talk to Simeon's friends, they would tell you that Simeon was the same whether he was in public or in private, he was the same guy. He was a man of integrity. The other thing that it says is that he was righteous and devout. That's another word that we don't use. What does the word devout mean, you think? What's that? Faithful, loyal, you're, you're on the right track for sure. The, the word there technically is the word careful. He was careful, and his carefulness led him to be exactly what you're saying, loyal and faithful. He was careful to figure out what is God saying, and how can I obey it? He wasn't just reckless about his faith or his obedience. He was very careful. He was very careful to say, what is God saying, and how do I obey? Now, I think all of us know people that are, that are people of integrity, that are careful with their reputation and careful to obey. But there's a third quality about Simeon that I think is a little unique. And Luke records it for us. It says he was righteous and devout and was, he was eager, eagerly waiting. Some of your translations say he was looking forward. And this is unique. So here's this apparently older man who's lived a life of integrity, he's been careful to obey God, but he's also a guy who's eager. And I don't know that that's a quality that marks many of us, but it's a quality that literally marked him, apparently all the time, is he was eager. He was eagerly looking forward to something. Now, to understand why he was looking forward to something, you got to understand the world that Simeon lived 
The world that Simeon lived was a world that was pretty messed up and pretty broken. Health was a constant challenge. In that day, when they would have pandemics, they were 100 to 200 times more deadly than our modern-day pandemics. And if you would get the illness that was passed around, you had usually a 20 to 40% chance of not surviving it. So health was a regular problem in the Middle East where he lived. The other thing that they had is something that we know nothing about. They had political tensions. <laughs> it was very divided. It, there was a lot of disruption in the political world. It was really maddening. There were people who were patriots. There were people who were compromisers and sellouts and all the. I mean, it was just, it was maddeningly divisive and divided and tense and frustrating. We can't relate at all to that. And, and in the midst of all of this, you've got the political tensions, you've got the medical tensions, you've got just the economic issues. I mean, you think inflation is bad. These poor people had taxes out the wazoo. You earned your money just to give it back to the government. And so there was this enormous sense of frustration and anger. A lot of people are impoverished, not because they're not working hard. They're working very hard, but they, cannot, they can't get, ever get ahead. And in the midst of all this, there's promises that were spoken by prophets centuries ago. And those prophets were all looking forward to a day when someone would come. And that someone, the prophets called him by the same name. They called him Messiah. And Messiah means deliverer. And it was this idea from the prophets that someday in the future there would be a rescue plan. God would hit the button and finally say enough is enough. Rescuer would come. Deliverer would come. And he would be known as the Messiah. When Jesus was named Jesus, the angel said to name him Jesus. Does anyone know what the name Jesus means? It means rescuer. Jesus, the Messiah, rescuer, the one who rescues and delivers. And so the rescue plan, God's rescue plan, was known by all the people in Israel. Because from a very young age, they would learn the prophecies of Messiah. They would learn about this future rescuer who would one day put a stop to the mess, who would one day reward those who did right and punish those who did wrong. Now here's part of the tension of that day though. Is those prophecies spoken by prophets how long ago? When let me ask it this way, when was the last time they had heard a prophecy about Messiah? Anyone know how long it had been? It had been 400 years. Years and when you've been waiting for something for 400 years, you tend to get a little tired. You tend to get a little impatient, and it's kind of beyond impatience. After 400 years, you tend to get a little apathetic. Like, seriously? Seriously? Uh, what these guys were saying, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, is it ever going to happen? And there was just this nationwide sense of, we don't really think it's going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen in our lifetime. Not sure we even care. And in the midst of all of that apathy was a guy named Simeon who lived with this eagerness of, I can't wait to meet Messiah. I can't wait to meet the rescue plan of God. And amidst 
all of the apathy and all of the tension and all of the mess of his generation, there's one man named Simeon who lives this righteous and devout, this careful life of integrity because he can't wait for God's rescue plan to get started. And God sees this guy, knows how excited he is, and gives him a message that no one else apparently got. And the message is, Simeon, I'm going to let you live to meet him. I'm going to let you live to see him with your own eyes. And I can only imagine this guy every day when he wakes up. I can only imagine Simeon waking up and thinking, Wonder if today's the day. Wonder if I get to meet Messiah today. I can imagine Simeon going to market and looking around and asking God, how old is he? Is is he alive? I sure hope he's alive. I'm getting up there. I can imagine him looking looking at the teenage boys, looking at the young boys, looking at the new babies, thinking, wonder if any of them are Messiah wonder if he's alive yet. I wonder when I get to meet him. And, and this anticipation and this eagerness that he's, that he's always had, now he's got this promise that he's going to live to see him with his own eyes. And he lives every day with this anticipation and this eagerness of, I can't wait to lay my eyes on God's rescuer. Now, check out verse 27. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, who was there? So I can only imagine that day he wakes up and he's going about his day and he gets a message. And I don't know how the message came to him. I don't know if he got a push notification on his iPhone I don't know if he got a voice in his ears. I don't know if he got a banner in the sky. I don't know how it happened. I just know that he got a message from God saying, hey, you should really go to temple today. (laughs) I can imagine his heart racing. I can imagine the excitement. Today the day? Could Could it be today? And he's told to go to temple. And there's these New parents there at the temple that day with their newborn son. Now, some of you know the story, but I'll just very briefly recap. These new parents were dealing with an unexpected pregnancy and then a new baby. Because a few months before this, this teenage young lady who was engaged to be married found out she was pregnant, not from a pregnancy test, but from this mighty messenger of God called an angel. When her fiancé found out he was going to cut off the engagement, assuming that she needed her reputation protected, she was unfaithful, whatever the case. And the angel just said, no, you need to marry her and raise this child as your own. But this child is from God. He's not yours. And so this young man is, is the stepdad to this new baby, and they're, they're being careful to obey the rules of their faith and take this new child to temple. They had done the surgery at eight days old of circumcision. Now they're taking him to the temple. They're following all that their faith teaches them to do, and, and yet there's a lot they don't know. They've been told some things by the angel about this new baby, but there's a lot they don't know. And on this day, they get into temple, and this guy's there named Simeon. 
And here's what happens next in verse 28. This is kind of fun. Simeon was there. He did what to the child? He took the child in his arms. Now, I'm just trying to imagine how this went down. Right? It, the indication are that Simeon's having trouble containing his excitement. Now, God had promised that he would get to see Messiah. He's like, I'm going to one-up that. I'm going to hold him. And so this young couple walks in, and somehow he's like, that's got to be him. He takes the child from her arms. I imagine poor Mary looking at him like, who is this guy? Is he background checked? Is he authorized? Like, who is this dude just taking this kid, my, my new son, out of my arms? But Simeon is just so overwhelmed with excitement right now. He takes this child out of her arms. And Simeon becomes, in that moment, the first and only person on record besides Mary and Joseph to ever hold Jesus. And, and the magnitude of the moment hits Simeon, and, and you'll see that in just a moment, but the, the moment hits him as he's holding this little baby. Makes me think of the first time I held our oldest daughter, Daisy. Right? The first time I held this little pink thing, and I just felt this, man, my life has changed right now. I've never loved anything the way that I love her. Those of you who are parents, you had that moment probably. That first time that you held. So imagine for Simeon, it's that, but it's times 100. Because Simeon realizes as he's looking down, holding this baby, that he's holding the one who made the universe. How's that for bragging rights? He's holding. Simeon knows. Simeon knows who this is. Simeon knows that he's holding the one who holds him. He's holding the one who made him in his mom's womb decades ago. He's holding the one who made the universe and continues to hold the universe together. He knows who he's holding. And it just hits him. He's holding Messiah. He's holding the rescue plan. What he's waited for his whole life, that rescue plan is now here. He's physical. It's in motion. And no one and nothing will stop it. And as he looks down at the physical representation of God's rescue plan, he's so overwhelmed that here's what he says. Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die, says every person who holds a newborn baby. Not, right? That's a really weird thing. And so I just imagine poor Mary, this teenage new mom, standing there. This guy rips the child out of her arms, it, it, it appears. And then he says, now let your servant die. And she's like, uh, can I have my kid back first? What in the world are you talking? Now, now you can die? Am I missing something? This is unusual. But Simeon knows that the greatest moment of his life is now. Nothing can top this. And he knew God was letting him last until he saw Messiah. He's like, I have no other reason to live. I, I've reached 
the climax of my entire life. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation. Simeon knew who he was holding, which you have prepared for all people. Goes to last week's message, right? The gospel's for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. My eyes have seen it. My hands have held it. Your salvation plan, your rescue plan is in motion. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Now listen, Mary and Joseph knew some hints. They knew that their child would be special. And I think most new parents think their kid will. Right, And they hope, my kid's going to be in the gifted and talented class. My kid's going to graduate early. My kid's going to have a good future, good career, great kids. Right, Give me some nice grandkids, whatever. We have these hopes and dreams and desires for our, our kids. And certainly Mary and Joseph did, but they knew there was something special about their son. They knew that there were events surrounding his birth that were unusual and miraculous. And, and yet there's still a ton they don't know. So when Simeon says some of this stuff, they're soaking it in. And they're getting more and more of an indication that their son's not just going to be a gifted kid. They're getting more and more of an indication that their son's going to change the world. See, a few months before this, when Jesus was still in the womb, he literally caused his unborn cousin to do backflips in the womb of Elizabeth. And so even before he was born, Mary got it. She got there's something really, really special. The night of his birth, it was a rough night. And yet there at the birthplace shows up all these local business owners called shepherds. And, and they, they come right into the maternity ward. And she realizes there's something really special about this kid. And now, at just a few weeks old, they take him to temple, and there's a strange guy they've never met who would have had no idea that they were there who's standing there waiting to hold him and to pronounce this blessing over him. And then Simeon keeps going. Check what he says, out. Check what he says next. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother. Now notice he directly addresses Mary. He seems to know that Joseph's not going to be on the scene. Joseph, there's no indication that he lives into Jesus' adulthood. And so he talks directly to Mary, knowing that she's going to see some things that are going to surprise and even hurt her. So he says this to Mary, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a what to many others? A joy. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, I don't want us to miss what happens in this moment. Because up till now, when it came to prophecies and prophets, how many years of silence has there been? How long has it been since the last prophecies dropped? 
been 400 years of prophetic silence. And today, that changes. Because a stranger at temple opens his mouth when he holds this baby boy and begins to prophesy. And the prophetic silence that people had lived with for 400 years, just for for the sake of, of contemporary understanding of 400 years, 401 years ago, the, the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. And that's a long time to wait for something. And on this day, that silence is ended. And God speaks through the mouth of a stranger. And Simeon, as he looks at Jesus, seems to see not just a little baby, he seems to see the future. That's what prophets were somehow able to do. They were able to see beyond that day. And he looks at Jesus and he seems to realize that in a short 33 years, this kid is going to be a polarizing figure. This kid is going to, is going to be charged falsely with a crime, executed for that crime. But he also seems to see the day when three days after that execution, this kid's going to walk out of his own grave. But he looks at Mary and, and he just wants to prepare her for the heartbreak because he seems to see Mary there on that execution day watching with her heart broken. And so he gives her a little hint. Brace yourself, Mary. Prepare yourself. Your son's going to change the world. But it's going to be a broken path and it's going to break your heart. But he's going to bring great joy to the world. And I think maybe in that moment, Mary, even Joseph, might have realized that this baby wasn't born to cute the world, but to save the world through his death. And Simeon, as he holds baby Jesus, seems to see that. What Mary and Joseph were just at the temple doing was offering a pair of birds. And this was part of the animal sacrificial system that happened every day in Jerusalem for decades, for centuries. And Simeon seems to see Jesus and realize, wait a minute, he's one day going to be called the Lamb of God. Here at this temple where animals are killed every day, this young man will one day be the final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And as I think about Simeon, I think it's eager I think it's easy to think of Simeon and feel a little bit jealous. I mean, who wouldn't have loved to be there at the temple that day and have held Jesus for yourself? Would anybody else have liked that? Like, how cool would that moment have been, especially knowing who he was? Knowing more than anybody else that day who he was, Simeon seems to know. In fact, you picture the temple courts and the way that they worked. They were crowded with Hundreds, usually thousands of people, and all these people are pushing past. How many people saw this young couple and this new baby and pushed past? Dozens, hundreds, thousands. But there's one man there who knew who he was. And I think about, you know, what was Jesus doing? Was he still maybe fussy or or was he crying from the surgery he had underwent a few weeks before? I, I don't know. But to other people, he was just a distraction. He was just a new baby, whatever. But to Simeon, 
He knew who he was. And here's what you need to understand about Simeon. Simeon believed before he saw. Long before he saw. He didn't just believe because he saw. A whole bunch of people saw that day. But Simeon believed before he saw. And that's why he was motivated to live a life of integrity. That's why he was motivated to live a life that he was carefully obeying God. Let me ask you, does Jesus motivate you at all? Does Jesus make you eager? Because I think for a lot of us, it's easy to just look at Jesus as kind of our get-out-of-hell-free card. He's our fire insurance. Yeah, we're grateful for him, but eager? I don't know. Motivated? I don't know. But for Simeon, his entire life led to the moment where he met Jesus. And for him, the moment where he sees Jesus and holds Jesus becomes the climax of his life. When artists or composers have their climax, have their greatest moment, and produce their greatest work of art or their greatest musical score, it's called their magnum opus. For da Vinci, his magnum opus was the Mona Lisa, that creepy lady who follows you with her eyes. For Michelangelo, his his magnum opus was the Sistine Chapel painstakingly painted on his back for years. For Beethoven, his magnum opus was Symphony 9. For Mozart, it was Symphony 41. For Simeon, his magnum opus was this moment of this day. But unlike artists and composers... You know, when they get to their magnum opus, it's because they've labored and they've worked hard and they've creatively developed something majestic and awesome. But for Simeon, he didn't do anything. You know what Simeon just did? He just waited. He waited with a sense of eager anticipation. He waited, and as he waited, he obeyed. And this eager older man of integrity got to live to see Jesus. And when that moment came, he was ready. Jesus was only a few weeks old at this point. God said, I want you to meet him. You are one of the only people in the world who knew who he is and had been waiting for him. Let me ask you, my friends, how many Simeons are there today? How many people are there who are waiting for Jesus? Let me ask you this question. How many years of prophetic silence are we living with? It's longer than 400 years, isn't it? How many years have we been waiting? How long has it been since the last prophet spoke? It's been 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years of prophetic silence. It's easy to become apathetic. It's easy to feel like, yeah, eh, meh. Check this out. 
2 Timothy 4 eight. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Do you know that Jesus promised he's coming back? Messiah has a part two. And Messiah's part two is part one, he's going to rescue the souls of people. Part two is he's going to rescue the world, start over and establish his kingdom. And punish evildoers and reward those who live lives of righteousness and are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Part two, my friends, is still coming. And the prize is not just for me, but who all who, what's he say here? Eagerly look forward to his appearing. 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Paul who used to be a terrorist bent on wiping out the Jesus movement. And one day he met Jesus and his life changed. And he was living with a sense of eagerness that he would get to see part two. Do you know that he died without seeing part two? And you and I are closer than any human in the history of the world to seeing part two of God's rescue plan. Do you know it's coming? Do you know that it could be in our lifetime, in your lifetime? You could live to see Jesus come back. <laughs> Do you realize that it could be this week? This could be the last week before Jesus comes back and he finally says, enough's enough, I'm starting over with my kids. Anyone else want to sign up for it being this week? I'll take it. Now, where's our eagerness? Are we living with this eagerness? Is it motivating us to live lives of integrity and careful devotion to God today? Because for Simeon, that's what his eagerness did. It led him to be obedient today. He didn't put it in cruise control. He didn't sit back to just enjoy his life. He lived with this anticipation that Jesus, Messiah, was coming any day, and he was going to live like it was that day. Because here's what he knew. He had already planned, I think, for years that the day he laid eyes on Messiah, he was going to hold him. He did not want to go face to face with Messiah and hold him when he would have something to regret or feel ashamed about. And so he lived every day like, hey, it could be today. I don't want to see him and feel ashamed. I don't want to hold him and feel guilty. And so I'm going to live today as if it's today that I get to see him and it's today I get to hold him. When you have an eager anticipation for Jesus, it motivates you to honor and please him today because it could be today. In a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate the start of a new year. What's, what number are we going to hit? 2022. What are we counting? 2022 what? 2022 years from what? From the birth of Christ. I mean, our entire calendar is pointing towards Simeon and Jesus. That year, Messiah Rescue Plan 1, Part 1. That's what it's counting from. But my friend, let me ask you, what's it counting towards? Counting towards his return. We are 2,022 years from part A. We are closer than ever before to part B. We are counting towards the day of Jesus' return. Does that motivate you?
Does that excite you? Because in Simeon's day, I'm not sure there were any other people who had eagerness. But Simeon did. When I was growing up, Christmas was a fun season. And one of the things that was a tradition in our house is on Christmas Eve, we would be gathered, all, mom would gather all of us kids in the living room, and we would hear bells in another room. We'd get all excited because we knew when you hear the bells in moments, someone's going to come walking through that door. And it would be this guy in a red suit with a beard and a pillow stuffed under his shirt. And my dad, as a kid, I didn't know it was him. My dad would come in and he'd sit down and we'd sit on his lap and mom would have this sack of toys and he'd, and he'd give us these toys. And man, I mean, it was just, it was magical. It was fun. And, and, and when Santa would go to leave, he'd stand up and he'd go, ho, 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 and shake his pillow belly. And then he'd go like, and blow and his beard would go flying off around the room because it was a shaving cream beard. As it got older, two and two started connecting. You're like, well, if that was really Santa, could he blow off his beard? Not sure how that works. But when we were too young to notice, it was still just the wonder and the magic. And I remember one Christmas Eve, Grandpa, my dad's father was there with us, and he was battling dementia. He was losing his memory. He was losing his cognitive function. I remember when... When my dad walks in dressed as Santa and grandpa's there and grandpa's eyes got huge. And most of us watched grandpa instead of Santa because we're like, what's he going to do? And he's just staring at his son and he just kept staring at him with eyes wide. And I was near grandpa and I heard what he kept saying over and over. He just kept saying, that's some guy. That's some guy. That's some guy. To this day, I don't think Grandpa knew who was in that suit. But he was so overwhelmed like a kid with the wonder and the magic of the moment. My friend, Jesus is the true magic of Christmas. He is the true magic of Christmas. Is there an eager anticipation like my grandpa had that day for the guy with the shaving cream beard? <laughs> Is there that kind of eager anticipation for Jesus, for Jesus to come back? Could I be like a Simeon where God says, Justin, I'll let you hang around and I'll let you see my son come back because I know you're eager. Well, I would love to see the return of Jesus with my own eyes. And I realize I could, and you could. And that eagerness should motivate us today to live lives of obedience and devotion and integrity, knowing that someday I'll be face-to-face -face with the one who created the world and holds it together, with the one who made us, knows us by name, and holds our salvation in his hands. He came the first time as a lamb, He'll come the second time as a lion. And he will set up a new kingdom. And his kids get to rule and reign with him. This Christmas, that hope should be like magic to our souls.
And maybe every day I should have that kind of eagerness of Simeon to embrace my Savior, knowing that one day he's coming back for me. Would you bow with me in prayer? Friends, let me ask you, have you had that Simeon moment yet? Right, That day that Simeon embraced Jesus was the day his life changed. And he was never the same. Have you embraced Jesus yet? Simeon believed before he saw. Have you believed? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? I can't think of a better Christmas gift to receive than the gift of Jesus' forgiveness and salvation. Yeah, Jesus knows your past. He knows your sin. He, he knows your rebellion, your deceit. Your, he knows how messed up. He knows every skeleton in your closet. And yet he loves you anyway. He came for you anyway. He died for you anyway. And the day you embrace Jesus, I think like Simeon, you'll be able to say, I can die in peace. I am not afraid of death. I am not afraid of the future because now I've met the one who holds my future. And I hope and pray that today you can have the faith to believe in Jesus. My friends, if you've already embraced him, let me ask you, are you eager? Are you eager for Jesus? Knowing that there's prophecies from long ago, knowing that we're in 2,000 years of prophetic silence, And it's exactly when no one will remember and no one will care that Jesus will come back. He said in the days of Noah, everyone was just going about their own lives. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. It will be a normal day. It will be average. It will be just as messed up as any other day. And that'll be the day Jesus comes. Will you be ready? Are you living in anticipation of that day? Does that day give you the hope? Does Jesus give you the urgency to live with integrity and careful devotion now? Because my friends, just as certainly as he came 2,000 years ago, he will come again. Father, thank you for the promise of Messiah. Thank you that you let Simeon see part A. God, we hope to see part B. Give us that anticipation to look forward eagerly for your return. We love you, and we pray this in the powerful name that alone can save, Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen.